Hello and welcome to Primary Sources, a spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show, where we take what fans were saying about Doctor Who in the 80s and the 90s, generally in letters to Doctor Who magazine, and we riff on it. The conversation might stick closely to what's said in the letters, or it might go somewhere else entirely. This is Podcasting Without a Safety Net. For this episode, I'm joined by my Doctor Who show co-host, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hello, Rob. Hello, listeners. Hello. Are you intrigued as to what magazine I have in front of me? I always am. Alrighty. This is Doctor Who magazine issue 244 from the 23rd of October, 1996. Okay, well, I would have bought this one and I have read this one. Alrighty. Let's see what was happening. This first letter is called, Thank You. I have received so many kind and comforting condolences on my husband's death, and I want to thank you all. Also in the name of my daughter, Dariel, and son, Sean, for those deeply touching messages. Unfortunately, I cannot reply to all of you personally, but I want you to know that your thoughts have meant a great deal to us. And that's from Ingeborg Pertwee. Well, that's very... Wow, that's very touching. I'm not quite sure where where to go on you that You weren't one. expecting me to start with something like that, were you? No, no. I mean, that that's, that's you know, not a petty fan theory or fans fighting or a- anything. Um, you know, DWM arguing about what the correct title of The Edge of Destruction is. Um, no, look, it's it's obviously a few months after the death of John Pertwee, who I think died in May of that year. Mm. And uh, I, I certainly remember hearing about that. I, I remember... My maths teacher, in fact, telling me about it. I was in grade 10 at the time. And I, uh, I stopped off at Eastland Shopping Centre on the way home from school and bought the Planet of the Daleks audiobook that had recently come out with John Pertwee reading it. Um, oh, but nice. Because I, I think I had $15 in my wallet and it was $15. So that was, that was the limit of my tribute to the great man. But no, I didn't know that Ingeborg had written into DWM. That's, that's, yeah, that's really quite touching. And of course, the reference to young Sean being Sean Pertwee, who's gone on to, you know, great things in his own right. Yeah, yeah, incredible stuff. I'm trying to remember, I think the first I heard of Pertwee passing was on a, uh, like a nightly news broadcast, like the late news, like a 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night thing. So I don't know whether that was maybe the night before the school day you're talking about or whether it was the night of that school day you're talking about. I'm not sure. There certainly was coverage that day because I remember watching the evening news that day and they did the two-minute bit of John Pertwee and, hmm. and, it, and it was the full, you know, Doctor Who, Wurzel or Gummidge, all that sort of thing, the Navy Lark. Uh, it was actually quite a... I was quite surprised at the time. It was quite a um, robust and full tribute. So that was on the 7 p.m. news. So I don't know if it was... It would have been something on, you know, late line the night before just or maybe you saw it later that day. Yeah, that, that, that is a mystery. Probably never be solved. But it was something like Late Line, definitely. Just which day it was, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And I remember looking at it and thinking, oh, gosh. Because with the, the TV movie in in the picture at the time, I was sort of back a little bit from the wastelands of where I'd wandered off to <laughs> um, after the series had ended and I wasn't interested in NAs. But I was coming back because there was this TV movie and now Pertwee died. And, and of course, I think he got a credit, like a... Um, not a credit, that's a silly way to put it. He got a, a mention in the TV movie, like a, a, de- a dedication. Yeah, because he died just before the TV movie came out. And I certainly know that the first club meeting down in Melbourne after Pertwee died was the meeting in May where we screened the telemovie, having 
you know, tried to get multiple copies out from the UK to make sure we had one to, to show that Saturday. And one of the more amusing things is that one of the uh, dedicated long-term fans at the club decided that he would dress up as John Pertwee in tribute and, and came to the meeting dressed in John Pertwee with a cape and all the rest of it. Oh, wow. Richard, who uh, was the president of the club at the time and has appeared on this podcast and many others over yes. the years, he he had a fairly serious girlfriend at the time who wanted to come along to the meeting for a bit and just sort of see what this Doctor Who club thing that he was involved oh, no. in was all about. Okay, and um and this person walked past and she sort of turned to him and she just said, "Richard, why why is that guy dressed as Dracula?" <laughs> Dracula, I guess with the cape and all. <laughs> the cape and all, yeah. Was it the the red satin version? Uh, no, it was sort of the familiar, sort of the black and purpley version. Oh, okay. So, uh, yes. Close enough. Um, and, and this guy sort of slicked his hair back, all sort of all bouffant like Pertwee's, except this guy had jet black hair. So <laughs> so it looked like it looked like Dracula. Yeah, I've got to say, when people cosplay, it's it sometimes helps if their uh, their attributes somehow suit the character they're doing, like their hair color. If they're doing Davo and they've got short blonde hair, it always looks better than if they're you know like a a ranger with an afro or something. Yeah, there are ways and there are ways. Like there are some people who kind of do in the style of in a really cool way, and and they can be you know, a, a different gender and a different age, let alone a different hair color, mm. and it can be you know a really cool look and tribute and there are others that you sort of like are clearly going for actual reality oh and, yeah uh, and, and that falls down if you don't look the part yeah I, I remember at the doctor who parties at sydney uni there was this guy we'd always see him arrive and before he joined the queue he'd disappear off into the toilets that were nearby and he would come out transformed as patrick troughton and he would have brushed his hair forward, sort of Troughton style. You know how like Troughton had a normal haircut, but he'd brush it forward, sort of Beatles style to get that look. Yeah. And and he he would have gone in and, and done all that in the bathroom. He was a very weird dude, as I remember. He wouldn't like talk to people, so we just sort of knew him as that Patrick Troughton guy. But I remember that he he used to go for realism big time, and this is like the um, eighty seven, eighty eight around then. So, you know, cosplay wasn't a thing. I don't think anyone even knew the word cosplay back then. This was just really, really going for it. There were a couple of meetings in the early 90s down here where um, the committee put on sort of uh, Cluedo-type panels, you know, where like like a murder mystery, like somebody's murdered Adric and you've got to work out which of the characters did it. The Earth murdered Adric, didn't it? <laughs> well, that, that, that's right. So, you know, you have somebody, oh, well, I've got a Colin Baker costume, so the Sixth Doctor will be a character. And someone right. will say, well, I've got, you know, a Romana costume, so suddenly Romana's a character. And and Richard used to come as Patrick Troughton because he's got the right coloured hair. And he, he had a Patrick Troughton costume, but Richard's six foot five. And try, <laughs> trying to make something look baggy on you when you're six foot five is a uh, impossible stunt. <laughs> but he tried. Oh, bless. Anyway, we should kick on to our next letter. We should. I'm getting carried away on this one. Uh, This next one is called Bouquets. I have two comments to make. The first to the so-called Doctor Who fans who have spent the last few months pouring scorn and derision on the American-produced TV movie. Get real, you morons. 
There has been plenty of praise as well as criticism, but at the end of the day this was Doctor Who for the 90s. Whilst I'm willing to concede that there were problems with the continuity and the storyline, it was a first-class production with McCoy and McGann shining and very ably assisted by Miss Ashbrook. I'd like to see more, especially of the new TARDIS set and the updated special effects, but unless we fans stick together and signal our support for the production, it just isn't going to happen. My second point is that as a reader of the magazine from issue one, I've always enjoyed the comic strip, with a few exceptions such as the horrendous Fifth Doctor versus the Talking Space Cows, which any self-respecting comics or Who fan would shudder at. Recent stories have been exceptional, but with Ground Zero, I can honestly say that the final frame of part four made me gasp and exclaim so loudly that other passengers on my tube compartment all looked around. What an excellent strong story, and if Ace is dead, then what a way to go, a departure befitting the hero she was. I simply can't wait for the story's conclusion. Keep up the good work. Gavin Robinson, Brixton, London. Right, Gavin, well, there's a lot to say about that one, and I'll, mm. I'll plough through a couple of points. Um, the first is, when you gave me the, the issue number and the, the, the period where this magazine came out of, I was instantly reminded of that very bleak and difficult period for DWM because for about 12 if not 18 months DWM had really invested everything in the TV movie being a success and mm. it was it was it was really sort of the big chance for DWM to have another lease of life and they really went hard on the TV movie and then then it it screened and there was this real sense in the next issues of DWM of bugger what do we do now <laughs> because it was very clear it wasn't going to be a series and it wasn't that good and Paul McGann had only taken so many publicity shots for the cover. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> so there was that real sort of thing of like, oh, well, let's let's show it to a bunch of 12-year-olds and see what they think and mm. let's get an interview with sort of everybody who's been on. And, and, and it really sort of struggled. But there was, as, as Gavin pointed out, that that thing in fandom of people going, no, 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 we, we need to get behind it. But again, my memory is very much like Gavin's letter of, look, if you excuse this, this, this and this, it was really good. And, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, or, 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 or the inverse of that, which was, look, I really like A, B, and C. Mm. The, the rest of it was terrible. Like, like mm. it, it's not a from start to finish terrible movie. There's some good stuff in there, some wonderful scenes. McGann's pretty good for the limited time he's there. I, I, I have very fond memories of hearing that theme for the first time and going, wow, Doctor Who's back. Oh, when, um, the, when the drums kick in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and the big orchestra swell. Like, we'd never heard the theme like that. So I, yeah. I can remember putting the tape on. You know, I've told the story before about queuing up and getting it out of a crate and all the rest of it. Yes. And then, yeah, yeah, hearing hearing that theme, you know, the real real tingle of like, wow, Doctor Who's back. And then there was sort of like half an hour without the Doctor in it. And then, then, <laughs> then sort of McGann's in it, then he's not in it. And then, then it's 20 minutes of him in the, you know, the the, the sort of the contraption. You know, Grace, no! <laughs> oh, my God. And, and, you know, Eric Roberts, 20 years later, I can look back at Eric Roberts and go, he's having so much fun and I'm happy to have fun with him. Yes. But in the moment, you're going, what the hell is he doing? Yes, absolutely. And why is the Eye of Harmony in the TARDIS? Yes, and what the hell is a temporal orbit? Does, mm. does, does that mean the Doctor can reverse any adventure he wants? Like, oh, that's all right. I'll just go back in my temporal orbit and... <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's got its problems, but again, fandom is naturally keen to you know be be supportive and there, there was that sort of pushback of, no guys we've got to enjoy this and everyone's like nah it's, it's done mm -hmm. it's it's not happening and and i think we really knew 
basically when it screened it wasn't going to series yeah. I, I don't remember there being a very long period if any at all of hey how did it do did it go to series it was like this isn't going to series <laughs> no no not at all and ace yeah yeah ace um i mean this so so anybody who who, who doesn't know what these comics are go back to our regular monthly show on doctor who comics um, mm. You know our, our, our reflections because I did mention both the Peter Davison Space Cow story, which <laughs> I remember you laughed at at the time, Rob, yes. and, and 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 Ground Zero, which which was really the comics saying we are now independent of the Virgin Books and the BBC Books. We want our own continuity back, and the best way to say, well, you know, screw you guys, we've got our own continuity, is to kill off a character that's continuing mm. in the, in the other series, and they they did that, and I I yeah, I absolutely didn't know that was coming um, because I thought, oh, you know, they have this shared universe now and the Virgin books and the, and the, the DWM comics, they're all, all sort of in continuity with each other and Ace is fine. And I mean, we spoke about that in our Lungborough episode about it going off to be Dorothea. Mm. And, and so suddenly, like you turn the page and the page like, oh, gee, Ace is in a lot of trouble. Oh, gee, she looks dead. And you keep turning the page and it's like the doctor reacting to Ace's death. You're like, what, 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 hang, hang on, hang on. What? And sort of, you know, flicking to the end, like, is she, does she come? No. No, 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 she's yeah. still dead. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a moment. I, I definitely shared with Gavin that moment. Awesome. Shall we move on to our third and final? We should. I'm going to have some fun with this one, I think, oh, just oh. quietly. Am I? We'll see. <laughs> the, the, the heading is Heart's Throb. Much to my great dismay, I've only just discovered your wonderful magazine. For just a few issues, I've discovered lots of information about Doctor Who and the gorgeous Paul McGann. Thank you. I believe Paul is the best Doctor ever. He is how I always wanted the Doctor to look. Before the movie, it was firmly set in my mind that Peter Davison and John Pertwee were the best. But Paul swept me off my feet. Not literally, but I wish. I know there is a Doctor Who Appreciation Society, but is there a separate fan club for Paul McGann? His acting was superb. And I wish he could see this so I could tell him that every time I watch the film, the part where he is looking at Grace with that sad, wide-eyed expression when he thinks she's dead, I cry. He looks so sad and convincing, and even thinking about it now makes me sad. Even though I know it is only fiction, I do feel sad for the Doctor, that he is alone with the TARDIS and cannot ever experience love. When he asked Grace to come with him, Paul looks so lonely and I believed it. I thought he was so lucky and wished the Doctor could have love. But then he'd be like everyone else, not the Doctor we all know. It was just those clear blue eyes. Please don't ever stop this, Mag, and please waffle on about Paul McGann. And that's from Carenza Allen Garner, Ilford, Essex. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> I, uh, I just need to pause the recording, Rob, while I go and call um, the police's fixation persons unit. <laughs> It's Look, a bit that, like that. That that started off, and I sort of thought, okay, this is this is a very early example of fans having a bit of a thing for the Doctor, which you know I kind of know there was a little bit of that back in the Davo era and and all the rest of it, but mm. I don't remember ever really being a thing before before Tennant, really, even even Eccleston really made it the Tennant, but that did sort of delve off into slightly um. Slightly creepy territory. Um, it, it, it wasn't quite people writing letters to soap characters to warn them about stuff as though they're real people, but it it was close. Um, yeah. <laughs> look, whether Paul McGann merits that, look, he's, he's a good-looking guy, I guess. 
He's still must... good. He's still a good-looking rooster now that he's he's got old now. But he's, he's still... he certainly aged very well. I think that he mm. was. He I don't, I don't think he was sort of in his twenties. You know what we would consider a Hollywood heartthrob, but I think he's aged into a very good-looking, very yes. attractive man. Um, and, and I think that's to his benefit because the characters he got to play, I think, were much wider because of that. You know, he he was a sort of stuck in that very limited leading man for a brief period sort of thing. So he could do things like Hornblower, Withnall, uh, The Hanging Gale, uh, that mm. sort of thing. Um, and even Doctor Who, where I think he was, yeah, look, he's probably one of the, the more attractive of the Doctors, but he, he's, he, he wasn't he wasn't David Tennant, you know, playing it up mm. for, you know, hey, hey, ladies, watch this show yeah. where Doctor's sexy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's interesting, but uh, uh, the, the the final just off side point is uh, the, the very start of that letter. I thought sounded exactly like the as we get to the podcast now. Like I only just discovered your podcast. Yes, and, uh, and it did kind of show just you know how, as we've mentioned many times, podcasts have sort of uh, filled in the gap of, of written magazines, whether it's the DWM or local fanzines. Now, uh, podcasts have kind of filled in large parts that gap. Oh, with, with without doubt, um, we've never had a letter go quite like that before, though. <laughs> That's not a challenge to our listeners either. <laughs> no, no, God, no, please, no. <laughs> I was having fun with that letter, obviously, but I was thinking back, and, and you're right, the Doctor was never really a sex symbol, and, and like I grew up amongst a, lo- a lot of gay fans and a lot of, surprisingly, a number of women fans in our local fan group and and beyond you know people who who could have easily had a crush on the doctor but it just it wasn't something you sort of did back in the 80s and i don't know the 90s no and the doctor wasn't treated that way by the show either i mean no i I can't think of an example in the classic series of the doctor going topless for example pertwee and spearhead pertwee and spearhead good example (laughs) um that's the only one i can think of yeah yeah like yeah, you know he 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 wasn't treated in that way. Even um, when even when Pat gets his clothes off in uh, Enemy of the World, he's he's got the long johns on. It's sort of like a comedy sort of look. Yeah, absolutely, and and very much in contrast to the the companions. I mean, Nicola's first episode is her in a very slight bikini, basically being caressed creepily mm. by the camera. Yes. You know, Leela, not a lot is left to the imagination there. I mean, uh, and we know the producers wanted the dads to watch the footy results and then say, oh, I'll just stick around and watch yeah. a young girl in a leotard, which when we say that now, you kind of go, Ooh. Yeah, fans who have never heard, you know, that for the dads sort of thing, they, they, they're sort of wide-eyed in amazement these days when they hear that, but it's true, it happened. It's true, and it's not any different now. We're just a lot more careful about how we say it. I mean, mm-hmm. th- there's no doubt that companions are cast uh, in partly to, to be good looking. And frankly, a lot of the doctors now and a lot of the side characters now are cast to be good looking and they get their kid off a lot more um, because that's television now. And um, it's probably a little bit more equal opportunity sexist and, 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 and the rest of it, but it is, it is there. I wonder what Carenza would have made of David Tennant or someone like that. Let's find out. If you're listening, Carenza, let us know. <laughs> and on that bombshell, Dave, uh, that was a fun episode, I think. <laughs> it went, uh, yes, completely unexpected places. <laughs> Very good. Very <laughs> good.